welcome into We Went Blues, episode 59 of the podcast. This is the season wrap episode. Of course, the Blues got knocked out by the Vancouver Canucks last week, and we are going to bring you a special guest today. It's Blues color analyst on the radio side, 101 ESPN, Joey Vitale. And uh, I want to get a timer going here, Joey, and, and see how long it takes you uh, to get wound up. I listen to your radio hits on 101 ESPN. You're, you're my favorite, and uh, it doesn't take you long to get revved up so let's get this counter going i'm going to start it right now three two one all right how you doing jr i am i'm beyond good right now i'm extremely blessed <laughs> I tell you what, i'm so blessed i'm so i thought i was having a bad day but then i read this thing the other day i don't know if you saw this but this girl a four-year-old off the coast of greece she was on a unicorn floaty in the ocean and her parents lost track of her and she ended up getting caught in a current and she was like a mile and a half off the coast of Greece. Uh, a cruise ship picked her up with floaties on her arms. So, and all, all things considering, I'm doing pretty good. Uh, it took two seconds. Uh, two, two seconds. You know what? I used to think that they injected uh, Panger with Red Bull every morning. I think he looks sedated compared to you now. He's uh, he, he looks depressed after I've uh, been able to hang out with you for a couple of years. Where does this come from, Joey? Well, I'll tell you what happened, JR. See, we hit a pandemic uh, back in March. And I've been around four kids and my wife for about six straight months. And I feel like I'm running the damn hotel here. I'm running a bread and be- breakfast at my house. I find myself getting up at 5 a.m. I'm, I'm prepping for brunch so the guests can come downstairs fully clothed and ready for their Belgian waffles and maple glazed bacon. And pretty soon I, I told my wife, I'm going to get to the point where I'm going to be fluffing pillows and leaving mints uh, bedside for all my kids. It's it just come to that point. So where do I come from? I come from the point that uh, these kids are running me, running me to the ground, and whenever I have a chance to talk to people and talk hockey and and have a little uh, conversation, it, it excites me. I, I I know the feeling. I feel like I should throw you a unicorn floaty right now. You know what? I would take that and I would sail not a mile and a half off the coast. I go a hundred miles off the coast just to get some <laughs> peace and quiet. <laughs> Oh, you're the best. So, well, we got a lot to unpack here in this season wrap episode, uh, as we mentioned, episode 59 of We Went Blues, uh, the Blues out of the postseason. I know people taking that uh, pretty hard. The team did not uh, look good, talking about throwing them a floaty. And, Joey, we want to get your take on some things. Uh, we'll talk about uh, Vladimir Tarasenko. We'll talk about Alex Petrangelo. We'll talk about the Blues championship window. But first, I know it's been a few days now, but let's get your take on this postseason series against Vancouver. Joey, going into it, you knew that it was a tough matchup in terms of Vancouver's speed and their power play. And uh, Bo Horvat, maybe we weren't ready for, but uh, he looked really good in the series. What's your take on, on why the Blues are sitting at home now out after the first round? Well, JR, I mean, I said this when the series started. You know, when the Minnesota Wild played the Vancouver Canucks, to me it was the most uh, energized series of all the play-ins. I watched Vancouver score goals and act like they won the Stanley Cup. I remember seeing Tanev score the OT winner, and they felt like they were going to the Cup final. I mean, this is a young, supercharged team who was just full of fire and full of hunger. I mean, that's the word I use, hunger. This is a hungry Vancouver team. Yes, they got the speed, the skill, a tremendous coach in Travis Green, and they got exceptional goaltending, which we saw. They had all those things. But to me – The thing that really stood out about Vancouver, and I think if you look back at this series, uh, the number one thing was that Vancouver played more as a team and they played more hungry than the St. Louis Blues. And that's pretty much to touch up on what Craig Berube said. He said, we just weren't a team. I don't know if it was because we got a late start. 
to the phase two training camp or when we got there, it was just out of sync. But Vancouver found that unity. They found that team. And this is a hungry group. You know, you look at the St. Louis Blues. They just won the cup a little over a year ago. Uh, they win the cup and they're out. Washington Capitals, the year before, they won the cup two years ago. They're out. Pittsburgh Penguins, they don't even make it to the first round. Um, the hunger factor. There is a hunger factor. And when you look at the four the four champs out of the four, last four years being out before the second round, I think that says something. They play a lot of hockey. The Blues have been under arrest in a lot of hockey for the last couple seasons. Uh, great credit to what they did this year in the West Western Conference to finish in first place. But it's a lot of hockey. And I just don't know if the team unity and the hunger was quite there to match what we saw the Vancouver Canucks. Yeah, it really is saying something when you compare a couple teams, one of them being the St. Louis Blues, and talk about the other team playing more together. That's exactly what the Blues did uh, last year, Joey, en route to that uh, Stanley Cup. And, you know, I think it was there during the regular season. Obviously, they, they're first in the uh, Western Conference before the pause. But for whatever reason, it, they just could not put it together. My question to you is there was so much talk about did they take the uh, round robin seriously enough? Do you think in hindsight – had they know what they know now, would they have put more emphasis on that and ramped up sooner? You know, it's it's hard. It's hard to say, do they have any regrets? Because, you, you know, you could look at a team like Boston, who did not do very well in the round robin either. And now they're, they're playing very good hockey, at least to start this Tampa Bay series. They looked very good the other night. I know they got dumped last night. But even before then, they're starting to really catch on and catch fire. So it's hard to, it's hard to have regrets. I think every team is different. I think every every in, internal veteran in the core is is made up of different sum of parts. So I'm not going to sit here and say I think that they probably regret it, but there, but there is really there is something to be said about the old adage in hockey that you just can't flip the switch, and and I think that's what we saw uh, probably here for the St. Louis Blues. But as far as the preparation goes, you know, should the Blues have reported sooner into Phase Two? We saw the Vegas Golden Knights. They had a lot of players out there for, for Phase 2 when the Blues were still scattered. Did, did players take too much time coming to St. Louis? You know, that, that could be the argument, right? But, but to me, if I'm Doug Armstrong and I'm looking at this thing, that the flip side is we're dealing with a pandemic here, and we're dealing with something that no one's ever had to deal with before. So it's very hard. And Well, I guess it's easy to look back and say we should have, could have, would have. But at the time, we didn't even know if we were going to have a season, you know, JR and, and Doug Armstrong – you know, as far as getting players here and, you know, giving them orders, it, it, it was it was a crapshoot. I mean, we've never done this before. So I'm not going to sit here and say that Doug Armstrong should have had players come back sooner or the players should have taken upon themselves to show up sooner. Because, again, at the same time, we had no idea what was going on. So I think I think from the preparation standpoint, I've heard I've heard both sides so far. I think you just I, I think it's a wash because of the, the rare situation the Blues found themselves in. Joey, let's let's talk uh, conditioning. How's your conditioning? I know you run uh, half marathons. How, how's your conditioning? You know, you know what? I actually just got done with the run. That's why I had to move up to this interview because I'm trying to time it. I ran I ran six miles and I was trying to time it where I have my last my last hour of bulk fermentation in my sourdough. So right when I'm done here, I'm gonna go in there. I'm gonna fold my sourdough. I'm gonna pre-shape it, get into nice 900 gram <laughs> loaves, and I'll be good to go. So yeah, to answer your question, I'm eating a lot of bread, but I'm running it all off. So I'm I'm doing pretty good, Jr. Thanks for asking. I was going to say, isn't that a big contradiction? You're running, but you're eating bread, but I guess it, you're making room for it. Well, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Okay, so bread gets a bad name. I, I don't know where this came from. You know, the Atkins diet, you know, 20 years ago, everyone freaked out about bread. But if you look, if you look at something called the Blue Zones, I don't know if you've heard of this, JR, but there are yeah. Blue Zones in this world. There's five locations, and they're kind of, uh, I guess, spread out all over the world. 
There, there's one in Japan, Okinawa, Japan is one. There's one in California. And then my favorite one's in Sardinia, Italy. And what they found about these five locations on this planet is they have the highest number of centurions, basically people that live way well over into their hundreds, even, even further. And they're starting to break this down. They're going to all these different cities and they're trying to figure out why these people live so long. My, the, the people in Sardinia, Italy, uh, a huge staple of their diet, believe it or not, is sourdough bread. Not any kind of bread, not the, not the bunny bread, not the wonder bread we all are used to here. We've, we've, we've basically despised all the bread bakers of the world by making this terrible bread here in America. <laughs> but in Sardinia, Italy, they make good sourdough bread from sourdough yeast, and they use really good organic uh, durum wheat flour from their homeland. You mix the flour with water, salt, and some of your own cultured yeast, and these people are living until their hundreds. So it's not about bread being bad for you. It's just the wrong kind of bread being bad for you. And I always tell people, if you don't know what I'm talking about, a good a good spot, if you can't get a hold of mine, because I don't make all that much, go to Union Loafers um, over there off of, uh, it's in Botanical Botanical Heights, just off of uh, Vanderventer and Highway 44. Uh, Union Loafers, an incredible place. Uh, Ted Wilson's making the best sourdough bread in St. Louis, maybe the Midwest, possibly the country. It's insane. So the Blues fans tune in for a podcast and they get a baking show. Listen, this listen is here's awesome. the thing. Here's the thing, JR. Here's the thing. Um, you know, you know, I know I get sidetracked on the air a lot. I, I always break down. I always talk about the anatomy of the human body. We get into we get into food. We get into uh, sometimes uh, geometry and planets. But but at the end of the day, we all as humans are interested in the human body and food and in outer space. It, it, it kind of blows people away. So yeah, that's what I'm interested in. So however I can yeah. tie in hockey with food and, and the human body and all these uh, physics and science and the, the um, periodic tables, well, we'll figure out a way to do it. No, I, I love it. My, my takeaway here so far is that the next time I go to a restaurant, I don't need to push that bread basket away. So I, I like this. Uh, but uh, the the blues conditioning is uh, in question. And Craig Bruby and Doug Armstrong uh, brought that up in their uh, in their interviews yesterday, exit interviews. And, and they talked to the media about they felt the conditioning wasn't there. And, and Craig Bruby said, you know, by God, it's going to be better next year. We want guys to come in uh, unreal shape. Uh, and Doug Armstrong made a good point. He said he felt like 20% of the roster had the COVID. You're talking about four or five players, and perhaps that had some impact. I don't think it's a surprise to any of us that we're questioning the conditioning during that tournament. But what do you make of it? Do you think it was uh, had an effect on, on how the Blues looked? You know, I, I think it's a combination of so many things. You know, you look at what I already mentioned about, you know, you win the West, you win the Cup, the short off season. And, and all of a sudden the season's paused and you're kind of looking at the season like as a wash. You find out that they're going to reseed in this round robin setting. You're looking at all the hard work you just put in. And was that a waste? Uh, you start second guessing the situation. You start second guessing the NHL, how they handled all this stuff. Uh, this is a mental game. It's a mental grind for these Blues players. Um, you know, as far as coming back to St. Louis and, and dealing with the camp, and I know every team had to deal with this, but the Blues were a little different because they just won the cup. They went from this incredible high of having parades and parties and all these kind of great, great activities to, to, to a season and a pause and then ultimately going to a bubble. Uh, there's that. There's, there's the situation that we have a lot of veteran guys on this team, guys with wives and children, um, a lot of family responsibilities compared to you look at a Vancouver Canucks team or Edmonton Oilers team or Chicago Blackhawks team, the youngest team in the NHL that was in that bubble. So there's that. So it's, it's to mentally and psychologically get engaged in hockey given the situation for all the reasons I just kind of laid out. Uh, from a player's perspective, I, I can't comment on the Blues, but from a player's perspective, JR, if it were me, it'd be very, very, very hard to do. It'd be very hard 
to find that zone, to find that place, the, the place you need to be to perform your absolute best on the ice. Uh, given all those situations I just kind of laid out for you right there, it would have been difficult. I would have missed my kids. I would have missed my wife. Um, you know, it's and then you start dealing with the injuries. You know, look at this team. Talk about conditioning. Yeah, conditioning was a little off, but you know what? Uh, look at look at look at the trickle down effect of of the injuries of the men that we were lost in this tournament. You know, of course you lose Jay Bowmeister. That has a trickle down effect, right? Because then you got to get Marco Scandell. Everyone's got to raise their game a little bit. You lose Vladimir Tarasenko on that top line. What does that do? Well, that's going to bump someone else up to that top line, like Robert Thomas, and then you got to hold the fill on the third line. All of a sudden, your fourth line of Jordan Kyrou, Mackenzie McEachern, and Oscar Sundquist, um, you know, you're looking at, oh, excuse me, Jacob De La Rose, not even Sundquist. You're looking at that fourth line compared to last year's fourth line. Well, it, it's disruptive. It, it, it's nothing there for them to really kind of perform well because everyone's getting called back up. Now, why does it have a difference? It has a difference because, you know, as a fourth liner, you, you have a role. You, you know what you need to do to be successful. And scoring goals and being on the offense isn't necessarily part of that role. But when you have such a trickle-down effect of Vladimir Tarasenko going down and, and uh, you know, Tyler Bozak that last game going down, then everyone's called to do more and step outside that comfort zone, which I don't know if this Blues team was all that familiar with it and good at, especially in the time that they were there up in, uh, in Edmonton. Joey, speaking of Tarasenko, we get the news yesterday that he's going to go under the knife again, another surgery, the third one on that left shoulder in a span of 28 months. This isn't good news. He's going to get reevaluated in five more months, which if the season were to start in December or January, uh, he could be back. It's a big if uh, back in around February. Maybe he just misses three or so months of the season. But at this point, after what he's been through and, and seeing that it didn't work out this time, I don't even know that you can count on that. What do you make of Vladimir Tarasenko's future? Are you worried? You know, I'm not worried because I'm looking at a, a player who's still in their prime, on the cusp of their prime, with a lot of years ahead. If we were talking about Alexander Steen's shoulder or Tyler Bozak's shoulder or Jake Allen's ACL, that's when you start getting nervous, you know, JR. When, when they're in the 33s and 34s, that's when you get nervous because you know their best hockey is already behind them. And it's hard as it is to get your body going on a healthy day, let alone injury. But with Vladimir's age and the way he's built and the way he's trained and the way he like takes takes uh, pride in his game day in and day out, to me, I, I don't think there's any reason to be nervous in the long term. Now, this is going to affect the Blues in the short term, without question. I mean, you're talking about maybe missing two, three months, maybe more. Maybe maybe he misses the whole season. Maybe Maybe, I mean, consider this. Maybe the Blues start in January and for some reason they fall behind the eight ball and they're not doing all that well. And when Vladimir is ready, they're out of the playoff spot. If you're Doug Armstrong, what do you do? Do you rush him back um, to try to grab it in the playoffs? Or do you look at a season like it's a wash and just let him rest the entire season? I mean, that's a possibility too. It's not just about when he's ready. You got to look at every situation because this is your franchise goal scorer we're talking about right here. Is it possible that he misses? I think it's real. I mean, you look at three shoulder surgeries on the same shoulder within that time frame you just mentioned. Uh, there's no question they're probably tired of getting them back and then putting them on the shelf, getting them back, putting them back on the shelf. Is it a situation where they just completely say we're not coming back next season? It, it is possible. It is possible. But at the same time, I think that could be in some ways a good thing for the St. Louis Blues if you're looking at the long-term effects or the long-term future and health of, of this team's best war. Joey, I want to ask you who fills in. And before I ask you that question, uh, the Blues played well without Tarasenko last year, the 61 games. Uh, they were 15th in the league in scoring in that span. They, they scored some goals. 
Uh, but it's a lot to ask a team to continue to play without a guy who's led the team in scoring five consecutive years. Now we have a little bigger sample size on Zach Sanford, uh, Robert Thomas, Sammy Blay, a little bit more on Jordan Cairo. How can they fill the void? Who do you see uh, stepping in there? I mean, if you're looking at the depth they have uh, right now, you know, to me, I, I see personally the most potential in that role with a, with a Jordan Cairo. And, and why I say that is because I just think he adds this offensive speed factor to that top line of Braden Shen, who, you know, Braden's not the quickest guy on the team. He likes to kind of go through the middle, but he observes a lot. And he's feisty, but he needs some speed. He needs someone to get going. You know, when they're at their best, 91 is skating with pace, right? He's in on the forecheck. He's doing all those things that can set up Shen, get a good, get a good read for Schwartz. He could be the second guy in, and they can manufacture some offense. It's when Vladimir Tarasenko's feet are not moving. When he's not moving, it, it, it just completely destructs his whole top line. So to me, St. Louis, you need someone on that on that side there, on that wing, who can play with pace, that can play with speed, that can get in on the forecheck, that can be disruptive, but also has the wherewithal and the awareness to make, see a play and make a good hockey decision, has a high hockey IQ. I see that for Jordan Cairo. From what I've seen, I'm surprised that he didn't get as much of a call here in the playoffs to get a bigger role. And there was one game there. He started on the fourth line. He creeped up to the second, I think, for a while. But I, I do think that this kid deserves an opportunity. He deserves a real shot. I'm talking a shot like Robert Thomas got a couple of years ago. Not a shot where you throw him on the second line for a couple of games, see how he does, and then send him back to the minors. To me, that's not a real shot. It's, it's hard for players to find confidence and to find a role on a team if it's not given in the way that it was given to Robert Thomas. I mean, consider Robert Thomas, those first couple months, you remember, JR, he was not very good. But the Blues, they, they really couldn't do anything with him. They weren't going to send him back to junior. They couldn't send him down to the minors. So they had to just say, you know what, you have to be our guy. You have to figure it out. And I think if they kind of give a player like Jordan Cairo that opportunity, uh, again, I, I've seen the growth in this kid. He was making all kinds of mistakes when he first came up in the league. His puck decisions were bad at the blue lines. But I, but I see more of that now. I think he's making better decisions. I think he's stronger on the puck. And I think he does have a great offensive zone awareness uh, capability mindset. I think he just needs a little bit of confidence. And it's going to be interesting to see if Craig Ruby gives him that shot, but more importantly, kind of gives him that confidence boost that he needs to be, to be a great winger on this team. That's Joey Vitale, the Blues color analyst on the radio side. This is episode 59 of We Went Blues. we got to take a quick break, but Joe and I are going to come back and talk about the Alex Petrangelo contract situation after this message. We're back with Joey Vitale of the Blues radio broadcast, and he's our special guest on episode 59 of We Went Blues. And Joey, I have a story up right now at theathletic.com on the Alex Petrangelo contract situation. It says it doesn't make sense for the Blues to let him walk now. And, and my case is that the Blues championship window, Doug Armstrong said it yesterday, they're in year three of what they think is a five-year window. They've obviously won one Stanley Cup so far. Good news. Uh, but with Alex Petrangelo, if you lose him, I just think that lessens your chances, certainly in this in the next couple of years. And meanwhile, he has signed Braden Shen and Justin Falk to long-term deals that take him to 34 and, and 35, uh, respectively. You lose Alex Petrangelo, that's a big hole on defense. And I don't know what you have in terms of uh, winning again in terms of that championship window. What do you think what they'll do with Alex Petrangelo? You know, Jr. It's it's going to be an interesting one. I mean, this has been a uh, it's been a kind of an up and down saga all year long. Considering a deal was close, I think last summer, but it wasn't quite done. They start the regular season. Roman Yossi gets that 
that well-earned, well-deserved $9 million for eight years uh, contract. You knew that Petrangelo, when, when that happened, he was going to be hunting for something around there. Um, and I just don't know if Doug was willing to go to nine without jeopardizing the quality of this team. And I respect that decision by Doug. And, and he's never put any player on a pedestal and given him a contract that's going to hurt the team. And I think that's a wonderful way to go about things. So where do we find that balance? Because you have a player like you just mentioned who, with your team, you are a much better team when you have Alex Petrangelo. There's no question about it. I mean, players like, you know, can we be okay without him? Can we win another championship without him? And then we're going to save all this money. You can, but you are a better team when you have this captain in your lineup. And I've always said this about Petro. At the end of the year, after 82 games, I've always thought about every bad game Petro had. It was just a stinker of a game, right? I could count those games on one hand. That is how ridiculously consistent this player is. And you look at a player like Roman Yossi, it's the same thing. He doesn't have a game where you're like, oh, my God, what happened to Petro tonight? Like we saw out of some of these Blues defensemen in the playoffs this past, this past season. But with him, he's that consistent and that good. He works the things in the defensive zone. He calms things down. He's a great first passer out of your zone. He plays with pace. He gets to the offensive zone. And you know what? He's a threat offensively. We've seen that. I think he has another three, four more years of really prime hockey. Okay? So my point is this. If you're going to have to eat up and pay him a lot of money, to, to, to pay him a lot of money, because but, but if you're nervous about worried about the 35, 36, 37, 38 years when he turns 35, 36, or 7, 38, if you're worried about that, to me, I don't think you need to worry about that, knowing that for four years, though, you're in that window, as Doug Armstrong said, and you have this player. Let, let, let four years from now, let it deal with itself. If we run into cap trouble and cap hell, like we're seeing in the LA Kings in five years, JR, to me, that's okay. I'd be okay with that knowing that we gave it a great shot for the four years uh, within that window when you have O'Reilly and Shen and Justin Falk and all these incredible players, Jordan Bennington, if we, if we re-sign him. If he, if he makes your team better within this window, you got to figure out a way to sign him. Now, on the flip side, not just to, you know, to play devil's advocate, I said this on my show the other night, you know, if you're Doug Armstrong, are you looking at the situation a little bit differently, though, where maybe you're looking at the player you brought in and Justin Falk during these playoffs? I think Justin Falk was our most consistent best defenseman. I do. And, and, and I've said it before, and I'll say it again. He was our best defenseman in these playoffs. To me, why was he the best defenseman? Was it because he was given a larger role because maybe Colton Pareko and Petro's game was sliding just a little bit or Vince Dunn was a little off or you lose Carl Gunnarsson? So he gets called up to do more, provide more. And Justin Falk, keep in mind, when he was with Carolina, he, he played in a large role. That's why he was a great player the Blues wanted, because of the fact he was in a large role. Now he comes to St. Louis, and he's that fifth, sixth defenseman. He's not playing half a game. He's playing like maybe 20 minutes a game some nights, where maybe some players just don't thrive in those situations. And I see it as, as an offensive player. You know, being on a fourth line and playing six minutes, you, you can't be mad at Mackenzie McCracken. It's very hard to get into a game when you play six minutes. It's very difficult. And for Justin Falk, it's the same way, I think. You, you, he, he needs a bigger role. So if you're Doug Armstrong, are you looking at these past playoffs and saying, geez, look at Justin Falk go. When he's given a bigger role, I think this is the, this, this is the guy we, we got. So if we if you re-sign Petro and then you keep pushing Falk down, into, Falk down into that sixth spot, are you really getting the best out of Falk? So, I mean, there's that side too. You know, So there's both sides and there's the, the weighing of the options. But at the end of the day, we've all said about the statues that he will get if he stays and, and the banners and maybe a possible future Hall of Famer. Uh, there's there's plenty there's plenty to say about Petro, but you know at the end of the day, are you a better team 
And do you have a better chance of winning another cup in the next four years within this window with 27 in your lineup, even though it's going to cost you a lot of money? And the question is, or the answer is rather absolutely yes. Yeah, it's absolutely yes. I, I agree with you there. And one other uh, devil's advocate point, you know, if you're Doug Armstrong, I don't know that there's been a GM in the league do a better job in terms of evolving another core underneath the main core and then just kind of bringing it along slowly. I mean, I remember when Tarasenko and Schwartz are those guys coming up and, and he was developing those guys. Well, now you got a group with Pareko and Robert Thomas that you're going to have to pay in a couple of years. So, you know, I'll sit here like you and make the case that uh, you're going to be a better team and have a chance to win another cup with Alex Petrangelo the next four years. However, Doug Armstrong, you know, he's done this before where he's keeping an eye on the future, knowing that he's going to have to resign those other guys soon. Well, and, you know, you bring up a good point, too, because we may be looking at this as a four-year window, but it could turn into an eight-year window if we see a, a flip and we see a, a page turn or a chapter turn for Doug Armstrong. Heck, JR, I mean, you covered this team a long time. I remember when David Backus, we, we got rid of David Backus, TJ Oshie got traded. We lost, we lost a huge group of that core, right? And I thought, you know, Paul Stastny shortly after – I thought to me that was the core. And you're like, wow, do we have a big rebuild here now in St. Louis? But out of nowhere, you get Braden Shannon to trade, you sign Ryan O'Reilly, and all of a sudden the core you just lost and you thought you were going to take six, seven years to rebuild, you, you got it within a summer, you know, with David Prawn coming back as well. So, you know, this four-year window, yes, it sounds great. But, you know, if you're Doug Armstrong, I don't think he wants to lose. I don't think he wants to be a part of a rebuild. So even after these four years and We'll see what happens with the Ryan O'Reilly contract in four years. And then you got the Robert Thomas coming up in a couple of years. Colton Pareko is going to be an interesting one here in a couple of years as well. So we'll see what happens with those. But, you know, the good news is I think the Blues just are – we are spoiled to have a great GM, much like Jim Rutherford. I put, I put Doug Armstrong on the same pedestal as Jim Rutherford. When there's issues and things need to get done, doggone it, he's going to go out there and he's going to do it. He's not going to sit around. He's not going to wait. You're never going to ask yourself, what the heck is our GM doing here in St. Louis? Because if it's Doug Armstrong – and it has to do with getting this Blues team better, he's going to make aggressive moves to make it so. Last question for Joey Vitale. Joey, thanks for your time. I think I know the answer here, but I'll throw it to you. You know, with the unique circumstances of this uh, bubble and, and playing up there, the Blues did not look good for whatever reason. Do you expect this is a one-off, and we'll see the team that we're used to seeing when they report to uh, training camp whenever that is? I, th I think so. I, I don't think that if, if I'm the GM of this team, and this is just me, I am not looking at this bubble and breaking down players and making moves given how they performed within this bubble. I am more focused on what happened during the Stanley Cup run, but more importantly, what happened this past regular season. I'll give you an example. If I'm looking at Oscar Sundquist, I am not looking at the fact that he had a very bad playoff as a reason to move him or to reconsider his role on this team. I'm looking at him, what he meant for this team in the 2019 playoffs, because he could be that again, and what he meant for this team during the 2019-2020 regular season before the pause. That's the player that Doug Armstrong has groomed. That's the player that Craig Berube has built. Uh, so to me, I think in some ways, I know I hate this term, but a lot of ways I think you can get this playoff format that happened in Edmonton, this bubble. And as a GM, I think it's important in a coach to kind of get most of it and just sweep it under the rug. But the one thing you're not going to sweep under the rug is letting this thing be a learning experience. I think that's that's the value. That's the silver lining here. Because you think about it, the Blues won the Cup last year. I know fans out there are disappointed, but should you really be that disappointed? I mean, keep in mind, we did win a Stanley Cup last season. And even if we won, won again this year, the, the celebration would have even been close to what we saw last June. So be grateful you won a Cup now. Okay, if this was the year to lose, this was the year to lose to me in my opinion. But let this be a learning experience. Let this be a learning experience for an Oscar Sundquist. 
or, or Vince Dunn, or, or maybe for a player that, that came in out of shape or for whatever reason, Jordan Bennington. You know, Jordan Bennington, the, the, the greatest thing I, I had in my career was whenever I was humbled. You know, as soon as you get too confident and too cocky and things are going too well, that's when you get lazy. That's when you get stale. Let this adversity for Jordan B- Bennington, let him push him to be better this offseason so he comes back on, on a tear. For all the players out there who came in a little, little out of shape, you know what? Wake up. It was time to wake up. They understood how when you come in in bad shape with, you know, maybe not as good of expectations for yourself, you can see how it goes down in a hurry, and you can see how quickly the world can turn on you. Everyone loves you at the top, but everyone despises you when you're at the bottom. The world turns quickly in this sport. So these players, let that be a learning experience. Go out there and have an incredible offseason now. Get in the best shape of your life and let this catapult you, all you individually and as a team moving forward uh, when, when this hockey thing ends up returning, which they're saying December, but hopefully by January, JR. Joey, your bread's burning. Oh, shit. Okay, I go. I go. I go. Thanks, JR. <laughs> hey, thanks for the insight. We appreciate it. Good job all season long on the radio side. I learned a lot listening to you. And uh, way to bring the uh, the energy here. Appreciate it. I always bring the heat. Thanks, JR. I appreciate your time and all your coverage on the sports. I love what you're doing at The Athletic. And uh, that's pretty much all my coverage for the games. I just read a couple of your articles, and I'm ready to go and prep for the game. So I appreciate all your work, and I uh, hope we'll to talk to you soon. And we want to thank Joey Vitale. I got to tell you, he's been doing a lot. I've heard him on TV. I've heard him on radio. I've heard him everywhere. So to get a few minutes with uh, Mr. Vitale was terrific. I hope you enjoyed it. Listen, the Blues are in off-season mode, and we're going to go in a little bit of an off-season mode, too. We won't have a podcast every week like we've had throughout the season, but we will jump in whenever there's news. So if there's anything on uh, Vladimir Tarasenko and, and his surgery or anything else that pops up with the St. Louis Blues, just know that we will for sure pop in with podcasts here and there. You can follow me on Twitter at JP Rutherford. I will let you know when those podcasts will be. And of course, uh, we'll promote them as soon as they're up at theathletic.com. Other podcasts at The Athletic. Join Scott Burnside and Pierre Lebrun Friday for a special edition of the Two Man Advantage. Pierre and Scott will have the latest on where the NHL stands in regards to possible suspension of games. Two Man Advantage only at The Athletic. And remember to check out our comment section for each podcast episode at The Athletic app. Don't forget to rate and subscribe. We Went Blues on Apple and click on www.theathletic.com forward slash We Went Blues to get 40% off your subscription. For Joey Vitale of the Blues Radio Broadcast, I'm Jeremy Rutherford of The Athletic St. Louis. We appreciate you listening all season long. It wasn't as long as a playoff as we had hoped if you're a Blues fan, uh, but there's lots more coming up this offseason. It'll be a big offseason for the Blues, and we'll keep you entertained throughout it. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you soon. 